the following podcast contains spoilers and explicit language. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans We're Discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10pm on FX. Join us every week after the show. <laughs> you always go, <laughs> Lizzie. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Stop crying. Oh, fuck up, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie. <laughs> Welcome to the Americans podcast for season five. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts and your host for the series, which goes behind the scenes of the show. Today, we'll be talking about episode 507, The Committee on Human Rights, with Matthew Rees, who directed the episode. Then we'll hear from three members of the art department about how they created Little Moscow on the Gowanus. First, director Matthew Rees, a.k.a. Philip Jennings. Also in the room were Kerry Russell and co-showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields. Matthew, this was your second time directing an episode of The Americans. Was it easier this time? Was it more difficult? What was different? It was still as difficult. I'm still I'm still wrestling as to, A, I have these great moments going, I, I want to direct this show. And then when I'm doing it, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And I still kind of look back and go, why do I want to direct this show? It's... It's at times the, the hardest thing I've ever done. And then in the same breath, you kind of go, for that reason, it's the most challenging thing you'll ever do. And therefore, you kind of get sparked incredibly by it. And for all those times where you have a brief moment on set, we go, oh, I would do this differently. <laughs> if only I was given the chance. Then you're given the chance. And then you go, how do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> Help me, Chris Long. <laughs> well, I spoke with Chris Long in a interview that will run later in the season and we talked about how there are two big poles between like the technical aspects and then like the dramaturgical mm. aspects do you find one easier or the other i mean do you like telling other actors what to do or? i don't like telling actors what to do. i approach it from an actor's point of view i enjoy challenging them asking them you know character driven mm. questions as to whether they would or not I think sometimes it makes a rod for your back because sometimes you go, what do you think you'd do in this moment? And then you take 20 minutes talking about it and everyone's go, well, you missed that shot. Move on. You're like, oh, sorry. So, um, it, yeah, it can, it can be, it can be, I can be my own worst enemy sometimes. Was there one scene that was particularly tricky? They all present a different set of challenges. And, and more often than not, you go, oh, this is how I'm going to do this one. This is what I'll say to the actors. And it'll always 180. Something will throw you, they can't do, and then the actor will go, I don't think you'd do that. I think you'd do this. And then you go, ah, <laughs> really? now, what do I, now what do I do? I've given the action the option, actor had, the option, instead of going, stand there and say it this way. You had a, put the emphasis on this word. You had a, something that made things tricky, which was what? eight different pickup trucks. Oh, yes, I had a number of trucks that failed me. Oh. But that's, you know, that's by the by. That's being in the 1980s where... You know, no matter how many mechanics you have on set, they all say the same thing. Like, this is an old car. This is an old car. It's like, I know how it feels. How do you direct yourself? I mean, you're, you're in a lot the of scenes, the, good thing the big about, scenes. The good thing about, you know, it's, it's good and bad. In, in one way, you've, 
you don't have the time to think about yourself. So in a way, it's kind of liberating because you don't. You don't have that when you're acting. You just do that, this one thing. And you can kind of overanalyze yourself into a whole. And I think when you direct an act, you, you only think about directing. And you hope that you've done enough seasons now to kind of know that tr if you trust your instincts, Phil will still be there. Um, so you, you don't. I don't think about myself. Do, I don't think about my performance. I'm kind of watching other people with a director's eye, albeit slightly distanced at times. And you kind of go, oh, oh yeah, it's my turn to speak. So that's a liberation in a way. It seems funny to me that you call him Phil. Do you call Elizabeth Elizabeth or is she like Bessie or something? <laughs> when, we, when we joke about them, we go Phil and Liz. I'm crazy Liz, I call hmm. her. Sad <laughs> Phil. Sad Phil. <laughs> Funnily enough. The joke we always do with each other is whenever <laughs> you always go, <laughs> Lizzie. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Stop crying. Oh, fuck up, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie. But it, it's, it, it's, it's funny, obviously, when... When they're lighting, they, you know, they light one part and then they, they shadow another part and they call it negative fill. Uh, and that's how I've kind of become on set is negative fill. Because I'm always going, oh, I don't think I can do this. Shut up. Shut can. up. <laughs> Fill I it. don't no. want to run the trap. Now that poor Martha's gone, I'm like, I'll take care of it again. <laughs> I'll do the killing, I guess. <laughs> well, in this episode... We laugh because it's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about something else sad for poor Philip. We used to have poor Martha, now it's poor Philip. That's sad. So in this episode, you said goodbye to Gabriel, which mm. like, I can see there's a plus and a minus with that because it hasn't always been the easiest relationship. Mm. So it's hard for Philip to deal with that and this big goodbye, but it's also hard for, I imagine, my projection for Carrie and Matthew to think, okay, well, I won't be seeing Gabriel on mm. set anymore, at least not in the USA. Are you able to separate like the character's feelings because you've you've worked with that guy for a long time? Obviously, you're professionals, but are, are there is there overlap or touching between Philip and Elizabeth and Carrie and Matthew? Uh, yeah, I think I think they do overlap because you know you 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 are aware that you know you're shooting the last day. This character you know is coming to an end. They they kind of they do intertwine in a way, and one one can inform the other at times, but. Um, I also think at this, at this at this stage in my career, <laughs> you know, you're you're very used to the ebb and flow of it. I think yeah. in your early early twenties when you're starting out, you think, oh, I'll be this person's best friend for the rest of my life, and then you realise it can't, <laughs> you can't sustain, you know, twenty thousand relationships. So mm -hmm. you kind of you're used to that. You only have so many brothers and sisters, I suppose. <laughs> True, but yes. you did, you know, you've stayed in touch with Frank. Yeah, you had you got the two of them had. Definitely had a connection. You went to a dinner for him, honoring him. Yeah, I enjoy. I think. I think Frank to me represents uh, this one of the last sort of bastions of those. You know, he would he would have conversations about you know working with Lawrence Olivier, and <laughs> and I think there aren't many actors I'll be able to have this conversation with. So yeah, I enjoy. Yeah. I did enjoy his uh, his anecdotes. What about you, Kerry? It's true what you say. You've done it for so long, and. The, it's like anything. I mean, it, it would be like any job anyone has. There are certain people that you do form a close relationship with, and there are other times it's just kind of work. And certainly there are a few people, you know, on the show in within the crew or the cast that you form close relationships with. I also think 
once you've been doing it a certain amount of time, there is a little bit of a protection, like yeah. you, because you can't be best friends with everybody, yeah. and it's kind of about self-preservation and getting through. <laughs> you can't have eighteen new best friends every day. Sadly, no. No. Philip and Elizabeth, each in their own special ways, seem really freaked out by Stan's girlfriend Renee, <laughs> and Philip straight up asks Gabriel if she's one of them, but. He still doesn't really believe what he says. No. Why do you think they are each so freaked out by Rene? Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to hand over to Joe and Joe on this because I'd be intrigued to ask what their take it's a on, great that, story. on that question It's a great storyline. I mean, yes. it just amps yeah. up the paranoia yeah. to such a degree, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Gents? Well, In a way, we like the story because you don't have to do anything with it. I know. You really just let it sit there. Yeah. Asking its question. Yeah. And, it, nice. and it's also a nice story because it's not a story you could have told in season one or mm. even two or three. That It's a story that's earned yeah. through all of the prior story and mm. through these strong relationships. And it tells you so much about how Philip feels towards his friend Stan. How Elizabeth feels about how Philip feels mm. about Stan mm. and about his job. Mm. How Philip and Elizabeth feel about the center. How they I mean, there's just so much in there, as yeah. Joe says, and you don't have to do a lot yeah. for all of that to resonate. It's about the question. We each have our own ideas about what Tuan is or what he wants, and the truth is, in every scene we've had talking about Tuan, we're just projecting our own. Mm. Like Philip is always saying. Well, he wants to get out of this shit. He's, he just, he doesn't want to be in it. And Elizabeth is always saying, that's not who he is. <laughs> he would never want it. Like, you know what I mean? And the truth is, we're just, it's just the way we feel about mm. the work. Yeah. And it's very similar. Like you use people, which is what like people do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you project, yeah, yeah. project how, how yeah. you feel. Now let's hear about the special challenges season five brought to the art department. Hello again. We are now coming to you from the KGB set at the Americans, and I am here with some stars of the art team. Could you go around and introduce yourselves yeah, for us? I'm Dan Davis, the production designer. I'm Mila Kalovich, the set decorator. Hi, I'm Tim Goodmanson, the art director. We've given you your titles, but can it give me a sense of what your job involves? We work on the sets, so we design the sets and dress them, put the furniture in, carry out all the supervision of the construction and the painting. We have been here a little while setting up, and it is astonishing how utterly convincing. I feel like I've come into someone's office when they've just gone out for lunch or something. I mean, there are stubbed-out cigarettes in ashtrays, and of course the ashtrays really look like period Russian Ashtrays. Mila, are you responsible for the specific, what I think of as prop items? Yeah, pretty much everything from the furnishing to the lamps to the ashtrays to the cigarettes. <laughs> and are they real cigarettes? Yes. And real ash? Yes. Wow. We burn them outside and bring them in. <laughs> Nobody really cares for it. Yeah. I was Sometimes we find the token smoker and ask him to Actually, bring there, there in. Are, I did notice there's a ton of cigarette butts. Outside. Outside. <laughs> <laughs> You have to go harvest them. Yeah, sometimes. When I've spoken with other people, like in the costume department, they say, oh, this is an 80s show. We mostly buy vintage. But in this particular set, the Russian sets, when you're trying to give that Russian look, are you able to do that kind of thing for this stuff? Yes, and then some. I mean, everything comes in from Russia for the most part. Uh-huh. I don't allow anything with a U.S. or China label into this set. So it's going to be made um, in the USSR? Not necessarily USSR, but anywhere in the Eastern Bloc, or sometimes we go to Germany, 
Because at the time, East Germany provided a lot of the lighting in Russia and a lot of the furniture, too. Now, as I understand it, Mila, you have a Slavic background? I was born in the Ukraine, and And I I came here when I was six. And you said you grew up in Brighton Beach? I did. So has that background kind of informed this particular bit of the set more than the, the Jennings is, would you say? I would imagine, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I take it very seriously. Yeah. Well, when we were looking around, somebody pointed out that there's a bowl of sunflower seeds. Yeah, that's actually an homage to my grandmother. She used to sell sunflower seeds ah. in Russia. It's a well, very common Russian snack. And, yeah. you know, things were very expensive back then. So for a couple of kopecks, you could get a pack of sunflower seeds yeah. and snack all day. It's really striking in, in the furniture. There are a lot of Glasses. So in that bar cabinet, which is almost a kind of a credenza. Hungarian, I might add. Uh, Hungarian. It's a beautiful (laughs) piece. There is a glass area and there's some like books as the works of Lenin, but there's also a ton of glassware, which again, you wouldn't expect to see in a U.S. office necessarily. I don't think there's a lot of glassware in the FBI. It's more hidden, I think, in U.S. offices. It's (laughs) not quite as obvious. Yeah. But that is for... <clears throat> like shots of vodka in the yeah. office? I mean, it's pretty traditional. Mm-hmm. You have your tea and your vodka. and It's like the art department. <laughs> Dan, in this season, there aren't so many shots in the Residentura, which has been a very familiar right. setting for the first four seasons. Sure. When you saw that we weren't going to be using the Residentura very much, what was your response? Basically, we're kind of tight on stage space. Mm. We had to think about building this KGB set sort of within the residentura. This was yeah. Tatiana's and we converted it. We changed the walls. We left the floor. I think we changed the window, didn't we? You know, we added all this wainscoting and uh-huh. the color and stuff. And we built the hallway inside the residentura hallway. So it's all kind of, this set was very much informed by having to fit inside the residentura. And yet it seems really huge, but I guess when you've got a bunch of cameras in here, not so huge. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's shootable, right? You don't want to make things... Uh, that they can't work in. So Now, whose job is it to figure out what color will the walls be? What will be on the wall? Who does that kind of thing? Well, we have a researcher guy from mm. Russia who uh-huh. sent us some pictures of what the KGB offices look like. So we kind of basically use that as our starting point. This color green on the walls, it's, it's kind of like the color you might point to when you're like, I don't want that color. You don't want it? I mean, <laughs> for my apartment. We call it KGB green. Yeah, it's KGB green. <laughs> When I was speaking with the costume department, Katie was saying that she has a very sort of brown palette for the Russians' right. clothes. Yeah, is there some kind of equivalent with well, the? Well, kind of. We're kind of sticking to green a little bit and uh-huh. stuff. And we, some of our Russian interiors, we've used green. And um, the idea is to keep it all a little bit cooler than the American stuff. We also have had a bunch of scenes at the Burovs, and I know there. I imagine anyway, there must be some signaling that this is a very privileged Russian family. How does that affect, you know, when you were setting up that particular apartment? I think for me, probably the Borov apartment was the biggest challenge. I was very nervous. I'm basing everything on like a five-year-old's recollection of what Russia was, and we weren't exactly wealthy Russians, or we would have stayed there. It was kind of designed so when you come in the front door, you could see into the kitchen, into the the dining room, into the living room. When you're in the living room, you can see someone come in the front door. Why did you want to do that? It makes it more interesting for them to shoot, right? Uh-huh. Did you have particular challenges, Tim, in any of this conversion uh, from the Resident Tour? 
I mean, the biggest challenge for all of us when we met last summer before the season started was just logistically where it was all going to go and walking through with the producers of what could we take down? How could we fit that in? Like in the KGB, there's columns in the hallway that are there just because they mask columns that are the resident Shura. So (laughs) it was trying to sort of fit that all in and how the Burov could fit into the space. It's like a big puzzle of getting that all put together and you're trying to accommodate what the director and producer need, but also the actual physical limitations of the space. Well, when you're talking about this problem of like just space, my apartment has pretty narrow doors, but that doesn't really work for you guys. We typically, unless it is completely not appropriate, try to have doors that are three feet wide because that seems to accommodate equipment and they can get through more easily. So unless it's really critical to the design that it feels smaller and tighter. Uh, that's sort of a dimension we try to stick to for egress. Uh-huh. Or, or whole walls will hinge open for camera access and crew access. Yeah. Are there things this season that are like, oh my God, massive art department projects other than the whole? Well, for me, it was a bit daunting at first, all this Russian stuff. And that's kind of why I, I appreciate having Mila because mm-hmm. she's so familiar with it. And she kind of gu- helped guide me through. I haven't been to Russia. I don't really know Russian. Half their scripts are Russia. <laughs> well, I was here in season four, so I wasn't prepared for all the Russian stuff my background prepared me for all of it, but I didn't realize how many Russian sets we would be actually doing this year. And it's amazing that we've actually managed to get this much Russian stuff and stuff from Eastern Europe over here. Just the volume of Russian products and Russian grocery stores and, you know, Russian streets and many apartments, other offices. Mm-hmm. It's fun in the office because there's always boxes that arrive every day that they unpack and it's some product from Ukraine, mm-hmm. Russia, and it was like, oh, what's this today? And it's some <laughs> other cool thing they found and got shipped uh, from the Ukraine or Russia. So the period stuff, for, again, in other departments, period seems to be the big challenge. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so my recollection is that it's not really that different except for mm. cell phones and computers and stuff. What was the thing that you're most proud of? I think it's like hitting the right note of being real. There's a certain level you kind of want to hit of having everything feel real and a bit ordinary, but without being cinematically dull. Right. So yeah, the safe <laughs> houses, I can see that's a term because yeah. like they're supposed to live lived in, but they're not lived in and you've got to give that yeah, impression. Yeah, yeah. So that was that's always an interesting challenge. I think one of the things that I enjoy doing is making stuff look real. Thanks to Matthew Reese, Kerry Russell, Joe Weisberg, Joel Fields, Dan Davis, Mila Kalovich, and Tim Goodmanson. Thanks also to Ethan Simon for recording assistance and to the Americans Sarah Nolan for her organizational help. Please join us next week when we'll be talking about episode 508, Immersion. I'm June Thomas. This show is part of the Panoply Network. <laughs>